0: No bullshit. You're listening to the 15 seconds podcast. The podcast for curious minds.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the 15 Seconds Podcast with Umberto Caligari, Chief Digital Officer in Consulting Services at Microsoft. Um, But to me, to be honest, that's kind of the boring part of who you are, Umberto. But for those of you who've joined before, and for those of you who are new, my name is Samantha Yarwood, and I get the pleasure of hosting today's conversation with Umberto, who I first met um, at 2019 at 15 seconds in person in Graz. And one of the things I loved most about him was his curiosity, his intelligence, but Honestly, it was his honesty about who he is and what he believes. Um, that's one of the many reasons why I think that Umberto's our perfect guest for today. Um, for those of you who are new or those of you who are joining us again, you know, 15 seconds is all about bringing together people who are curious and who kind of have that intersection of business, innovation, creativity, and who really want to share their knowledge and drive positive change to shape the future. And that's really why Umberto is here today, is because although he might be recognized for his thought leadership in digital innovation and technology, I think it's really his courage to challenge the status quo and to call out the things that go unsaid, to explore ideas from different perspectives and different angles. That's really personally captivated me. And I, I know that you're going to be in for a treat today in today's conversation. So welcome, Umberto.
0: <laughs> Thank you for having me, and definitely the position in Microsoft is definitely the, the normal part of me I would say and when you said that you wish <laughs> that the end the, the feeling is mutual or you like me I, I thought you would have said for your uh, complete mental insanity but uh, yeah I mean that's I think the, the what you raised it was was probably more sellable but yeah
1: mental insanity I'm gonna use that yes that as well just another reason it adds to the list
0: <laughs> in the immortal world words of Jamiro Jamiroquai, the artist, you remember? Yes. He wrote a song called Mental Insanity. No, Virtual Insanity, which is even... More proper for today's topic. Yeah.
1: And so fitting as well. Like I'm on the virtual piece. You know, it's it's interesting when you think about where we are in the world right now and just how everything is literally virtual. Um, but there's there's many and multiple sides to that, right? There's the positive piece where we can connect with people globally. There's the other side where, you know, I joke that I sometimes am becoming a Zumbie. Um, But when you think about that human connection piece, which I know we're both uber passionate about, um, but also how technology is being redefined and influencing some of the massive change that we're experiencing. And, you know, there's also a lot of conversation around AI but what do you think and see as the role of technology, AI, and then all of that tied together? And I'm just looking at the picture in the background that you have and it's so aesthetically pleasing that it brings to mind. Like, what is that role of ethics, empathy and aesthetics in our world?
0: So uh, that's a very interesting question and a, and a very heard question as well. So I'll try to give it a, an unconventional yet very personal and felt, heartfelt uh, take so i think we are and we all know we are in a moment of deep change we keep on hearing this and perhaps we don't even think it's it's the truth because you know life rolls on and and until a pandemic explodes and deeply changes the dynamics we don't perceive the change happening below our feet but i'm not sure when it comes to technology people realize how deep uh, this this change has been, um, and and, and it's even more deeper as time progresses. So if you consider one of the founding principles of ICT, you basically say that the number, and I'm not going to be geeky about it, even if there's nothing wrong with being geeky, I would love to be geeky, but I'm not that good.
1: You're going to have to explain what ICT is.
0: (laughs) Information communication technology. Perfect. So I guess I'm a bit of a nerdy. Anyway, uh, the, the, you know, basically they say that the number of, trans- of, of transistors on a microchip doubles basically every two years. So the growth of the opportunities and everything that's empowered by anything digital is more than exponential. So every two years, basically, the depth that technology, in which technology like, permeates our, our lives, basically doubles. Right. And AI, if you if you mention it, it's already basically empowering everything that that we do. Not everything, but pretty much that we do. I mean, uh, daily Netflix, suggested shows, that's AI, Amazon, AI, Facebook post, AI, Instagram post, AI, uh, Alexa, AI, Siri, AI. You look for a navigator, whatever, AI. Right. So. If we that is very important because. That's it. We we heard a lot about technologies and we're, we're accustomed to hear the disruptive technology terms. Now, disruptive technology is a term for as sexy as it might sound. It doesn't apply to AI because disruptive technology is a technology that changes a current model and a current business model with a solution that's more pervasive and lower cost. The mobile phone to Internet. That's the same thing, but the mobile phone is more pervasive. It's faster right now, and it's it cost it should cost less. Uh, not lately, given the prices of the latest iPhones. But uh, I mean, th- th- that that's what disruptive technologies. When it with AI, we could talk about foundational technology, so it changes the very roots of our society and. And and of our, not only economics but even the dynamics between like human human connections, right? That's the 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 other big revolution revolution with with another transformative uh, foundational technologies was electricity to coal, right? So right now what we are experiencing is is a technology that has, is going to be as pervasive as electricity and that's going to empower and change our life as much as electricity has done at the beginning of the century, the past century, right? And we absolutely need to, need to understand that because if we allow for that change to happen we'll, without us realizing, it's like surfing a wave without realizing you're actually surfing down. And then this is when you hurt yourself, right? And so we are in a moment in which we not only need to program or code for the completion of a task with a, with a lower cost, with like just like uh, we could do with a with a less expensive technology. For example, the old cloud journey, cloud transformation um, that is happening right now, for which Microsoft is is a, is a top player with Google and Amazon and whatever. But we need to shift from programming for a task towards creating and designing uh, for greater good, for a greater purpose for something that's shared. And that's not just, you know, philosophy. There is good in a purpose-led change. We are in a moment in which we need basically to redesign our life. And with this pandemic, I think if there's one good aspect of this pandemic is that it forced us to realize that A, the change was needed, B, the change was happening, C, the changes that we weren't, you know, kind of implementing might, have, might not have been the the better best ones for our planet for the future generation. So it gave us a wake-up call. And right now, especially with the expansion of technology such as AI, we need to reaffirm the centricity of man in existence. You know, if you think about humanism, and I know I talk a lot, you can stop me and that <laughs> I'm going to listen
1: to you for a little bit longer then I'll stop you. I've got lots of questions, but you're answering them as you go.
0: <laughs> yeah. so if you think about humanism, which is the, the, the what theorizes the the men at the at the center of existence, humanism is, is theorized on four pillars: so logic, rationality, empathy, and ethics. Yeah. In an AI empowered society, it's enough easy to 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 imagine that. Logic and rationality are going to be, at, at a very least, empowered by AI algorithms. So our choices are going to be maybe still made by us, just like when we pick a movie or the other movie. Mm-hmm. But the options are going to be presented by AI. And the options that are presented by AI are evident on Netflix, a little less evident on Instagram, and might be a little less evident on out of context and could be even more important to think about radiologist empowered AI instrumentation, you know, the diagnosis of breast cancer, for example, could definitely benefit out of, out of AI, but you know, it, it will impact. So logic and rationality are going to be, so what is, what is, what is left to humans? And that is empathy and ethics. And if we fail to recognize that we might end up in a dystopian or cyberpunk reality.
1: So I just... Okay. I, I want to dig more into that, but before we get there, you know, as you're talking and I'm thinking about like the technology in my world, and, and yeah. I often think I live in a bit of a bubble because the only point of views that I have are, or, you know, the information that I'm getting is from information from my friends, from my colleagues, from conversations I have, but specifically through digitalization, it's also through AI, right? It's very targeted. So I have a very limited view of the world. Um, And, you know, I try to get outside my bubble, I call it bubble jumping, like having a conversation with you as an example, brings in a different perspective of lens. So on that, you know, we are facing some massive challenges in the world right now, as you've alluded to. But thinking about my bubbles, I might have a perspective on what needs to change. But from your perspective, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities that you're seeing?
0: That's a lot. I mean, from the the carbon emission and sustainability, and increasing the 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 or decreasing the the pollution, or creating a generally a sustainable world, I we could talk for hours. I would say that right now, technology gives us an unprecedented opportunity mm-hmm. of righting the wrong, and generally, I always say of reducing that gap. That exists between ethics and aesthetics. So when you talk about aesthetics, people typically think about a beauty contest, right? So the yeah. aesthetic, something that is aesthetically pleasing. And even if we now consider aesthetically pleasing something that's dysfunctional at best, but that's that's another that's another topic. In the ancient, in the classical world, ancient Greeks, when they talk about aesthetics. They talk about kalos agathos, which means the good in the beautiful, right? So the two concepts came together. And that's one thing that I really like. The beauty that will save the world is that type of beauty. Obviously, the hero that they theorize and that they imagine, it was all sort of, of good. It was good-looking, like god-like looking, or she was good-looking, a goddess-like looking. But she was, or he was also ethically pleasing it was also very aware of himself and the surrounding is his mind was beautiful and i think that through technology we could make a step towards recomposing the fracture between ethic and aesthetics and creating a better a better world if you think about if you think about all the unconscious bias that we all have right uh, On everything, race, religion, aesthetics, like looks.
1: But even on the, completely, even on the positive elements too, like I, as an example is I tend to view the world in a very positive, with a very positive lens, but that's a bias as well.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of my friends always tells me you, you, you tend to think that people are better than what they actually are. But Nevertheless, even, you know, it's very tough to recognize our own mistakes or our own biases. And if you think about the, the world uh, and the economics, all this gender gap, generally, let's let's put something easy that this should be easy to recognize. It's, somehow it's not. So what if we use AI to improve all the HR processes in the world? to improve the the systemic biases that prevents gender, race, ethnicity, religion from getting, you know, different, equal, equal uh, possibilities. So that is the big theme of recomposing the gap between ethic and aesthetics, or what I call sustainability, because sustainability sometimes is narrowed down to the you know, the, the, uh, the impact on the, on the, on the climate change and this type of stuff, which is absolutely fundamental, but it's not just that if you, let's consider what we're working right now, right now, me and you, for me in Italy, is like 6.30, so it's PM. So it's already well, evening, but my day is far from being over. Right. And when you work countless hours in front of a screen, empathy and ethics should play a role in that too. I mean, companies, in adopting AI, right now, we are both facing a camera, and adopting AI, we could see, and that algorithm that would should be programmed to see, if I am stressed, if I am tired, if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you need a break, and this type of stuff, if you've been, been working too much, if you had one too many calls, and if those calls were actually worth taking, so that's the all sustainability, that's the all new humanism that we need to empower.
1: I love that concept and principle. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is we're living in a time where technology and connection is so accessible, yet at the same time, it's one of the most difficult things that we're facing and almost, you know, there's conversations around the fact that we're, you know, at a point of no return or, you know, a point of reinvention. Um, and, and within that, and you touched on this, it's an opportunity for us to really look at what does it mean for us to be man or mankind? Um, what's your point of view on that?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you read sci-fi novels? Sometimes. So, do you think androids dream of electric sheep? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not a, yet,
1: maybe one day.
0: <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, a, that's the original uh, title of the novel from Philip K. Dick that inspired the Blade Runner uh, type of myth, I would say, right? And if you think about the future that Philip K. Dick presented to us, it was an obscure, very close to us future in which it was always raining to fight the predominant pollution. And it was, the sun was never, never, never shining. Um, in which the, uh, exasperated technological evolution and revolution pushed existence to, a post human horizon, if you want. Right. So man, humans and Android live together in the same society. But now it was posthumanistic, not only posthuman, because at the center of existence, it should have been androids, because the androids were more good looking, more intelligent, more educated, more brave than, than men. So the author makes you think, hey, yes, it's actually, a str- it's actually unfair that these anti-heroes that rebel, uh, trying to live a little bit longer, because their creator created them to die, you know, in a, very fast. Because the uh, what, how was it? The stars, the bright, the, the, the burns twice as bright, burns twice as fast. I think, um, you know, it was a way to justify human at the center. And we kept asking ourselves while reading that book, the same question: Why should we be at the center now that logic, intelligence, everything belongs to androids? and the uh, the answer the subtle answer of the uh, the uh, of the author was its empathy right so the, he developed the void kampff test in uh, through that test, test rick decker the the, the the main character was able to understand if an android was able to feel empathy for another subject and so there was like the upgrade of the cartesian i think therefore i am becoming i feel therefore i am and so Again, the concept of empathy and ethic at the center. Obviously in the book, then the the protagonist finds out that the androids can actually feel empathy. And so we, we assist to a complete slip of our role in the existence as marginal and not central anymore.
1: And that is one of the biggest irrational fears that people have when it comes to AI. But you pose a really interesting question in there around... Should men be at the center? So should mankind be at
0: the center? Well, mankind is at the center only for what mankind is concerned. Uh, ants don't th- don't feel that man is at the center. We believe that we are at the center. We live in uh, let's say chaotic uh, life and um, chaotic ellipses, and we need to make you know sense of those chaotic ellipses. So we we put ourselves at the center of everything. But we—the point is how exactly. Are we the really? <laughs> no, the point is exactly that we deserve. We can even we can even try to be, but we deserve to be at a center. You know, when you were, when you put yourself there, you have the accountability of what's around you. You need to be worth it, right? And you know, you ask me what it means to be mankind. I think we forgot how to be kind in the process of trying to be men. And, and and that's that's as simple as, as, as that. I believe we have had a wake-up call. We have experienced a little bit of dystopia um, with the old the walls that have been built and the exit here and exit there and the on the Capitol Hill, whatever that, that happened, and you know, we, we experienced what you know in, in in uh the kalos kaya gathos the beauty and the good right if you think about now how far are we from from that if you think about certain images of kids being separated at borders and then how ugly it is to see that and how ignorance plays a tremendously important role in that and how ignorance ignites violence and out violence, ignite intolerance. So through AI, we can have a daily wake-up call monitoring what's good and what's bad and kind of trying to be better. Obviously, this starts from the assumption that we will program AI for a great good. Because if we program AI for profit, uh, then mankind is like a virus. Then we have another movie, which is Terminator. <laughs> I think it's the second most uh, you know, kind of subtle fear that we all have when we talk about AI. Yeah. I love
1: it. So you mentioned beauty and good a few times. And, you know, as as you were talking, what comes to mind for me is social media. Mm. And you know all the examples that you've given around um you know children being separated from their parents, um we all saw what happened on Capitol Hill, and just some of the challenges the world's facing, I think there's a, a bigger awareness than there ever has been, partially because of the ability to have access to information so quickly. um but on the other side of that, I think you know it's also played a role in creating more separation and also um my personal belief is that in some ways, you know, social media has played a negative role on understanding what beauty actually really means and how that lives in society. So, you know, when you're talking about beauty and good, like, how do you see social media playing into that?
0: That's a lot of responsibility in social media. I mean, I think that's a good, you know, someone said that the um, most uh, cruel uh, consequences of of a man invention were unintended so we need to start thinking that social media started with the with good idea like connecting people and I myself uh, haven't lived uh, a little bit uh, here and there I am connected to certain friends uh, that live you know nine hours of uh, time zone difference from me um just thanks to social media so it is there is there is good but obviously you cannot not take accountability for what you create. And uh, at most of the time we think about a, a dysfunctional beauty or dysfunctional aesthetic, which is the one of making money or looking good in an unsustainable way without considering the impact that that will have on the longer term on society. Actually programming for a dysfunctional future I, I think we're all seeing that that social dilemma um, uh, piece on on Netflix which was very very well done and I hope a lot of people see it because you know for for me which I'm working in the in the industry it's you know everything is known but I don't think that um, ethic programming and this type of stuff are really known to the kids they're heavy user or no. uh, digitally native, right? So for them it's just the way it is. And they don't realize that when they swipe, the swipe gesture was programmed to release dopamine so you want more and you actually turn into a junkie. So this is the type of responsibility and ethical leadership that even those companies needs to have. And then we, we talk about, you know, Terminator, and we talk about Androids, and it all seems, in AI, and all seems very, very far. But if you consider a data, like a few data, like the the impact of the unsustainable and unrealistic and even dysfunctional standards of beauty that social media brings up, and the impact that I have a young generation, you see that, you know, pre-teenage suicide have, have soared 150% in the last 10 years. And you see that self-harm has tripled due to cyberbullying or even just not feeling good with themselves. Yeah. Dysmorphia. People ask, and I was reading reports of people asking of being kind of receiving um, plastic surgery to look like Instagram or Snapchat or the other social media's filters, right? That's That's how deep the impact is. And that's how, you know, aware we will be.
1: I was just going to say, like, you're constantly thinking about reimagining the possible. And I know you've done some work on how do you use social media to change perceptions around like your own image, understanding that. Um, But when you're thinking about the redesign of that next level of humanism, and I think you and I think the same way is that um, there's still possibility to change the world. So when you think about all these challenges that we're facing, what is it that you think that we could be doing differently? Um, And how are you bringing that into your work?
0: Awareness, awareness starts it all. Passion, honesty, uh, truth. Uh, I don't think that's a magic wand, but I don't think it's rocket science either. I mean, we we need to start uh, with compassion, at compassionate ethics. And that empathy, and you know, I don't know if I'm any good in doing what I do, but I I I certainly hear uh, certain feedbacks that I receive. Once are not very good. Some are not very good. Some are good, and some are all along the line of you're a people person. You really care, and and I don't think you can fake it. I mean, you in order to care, so in order to ignite some change. Changes you need to care, and in order to care, you just need to care. <laughs> you, you cannot fake it, right? So as long as you have passion, and I think you know, a well-lived life is uh, is lived in for something, working for something you care, not just working to pay the rent or, or whatever. So that's it. I believe we certainly can, uh, but I believe it all starts with uh, with awareness and and acceptance that what we know might not be true might be true today might not be true tomorrow and accept that to grow there's a level of um it doesn't feel comfortable you need to accept that growth is an uncomfortable uh process i mean imagine uh, you are a great violinist or something like that and you were you're mastering the technique or something like that. Okay. And you're great. And now you want to start playing the drums for how great as a violinist you are. The drums are not going to be the same. So you have to accept that to play the drums, you will have to look and feel like a fool and push through and push through and push through and enjoying the small steps. And I know it's exhausting sometimes, but that's everything that, that, that all of us can do and hope for the better.
1: So you used the example there of a violinist. Um, what about yourself? What kind of hurdles have you faced and how have you overcome them?
0: Yeah. The hurdles that I've faced, I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I overcome them. Uh, they're all related <laughs> to, to my personality, I guess. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. My I always try to be true to myself and, and integrity everything to me so um i always try to do what's right i struggle to to be honest to to fit in a very political context and that's why i'm very you know happy right now because i believe you know i joined microsoft again for a greater purpose i believe microsoft was able to reinvent itself from a very legacy dysfunctional company Towards a purpose, purpose-led company, empower people to achieve more. Sometimes I do, I do uh, meetings in which I say outrageous things, like, like such, like I don't really care about selling Asia, or I don't care how much teams we sell. And it is true, I I don't honestly care to sell something for the sake of selling something, but. I care about what that technology empowers. So all the AI for sustainability, AI for good, AI for earth. Um, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, uh, it to be. the hurdle, I think it's, look, uh, Richard Feynman, which is one of my heroes told me, uh, told, told me, told the world that he constantly knew that he was aware of not knowing enough. Right. So when you don't take yourself too seriously, when you don't uh, consider yourself for your job title, and when you realize that what matters in life is do something that you care, love people, and keep learning, then you, you don't have any any difficulties to over, overcome hurdles, I would say.
1: Awesome really good advice is be yourself, be true to who you are, and to find a way. And I actually like the way that you framed the work that you're doing at Microsoft right now, just around where you found your own way to bring in what's important to you into your daily work, yeah. um, and to be able to have purpose. Um, and t- tell me a little bit more about that, because you alluded to that at the beginning as well, that, you know, how do you use technology for purpose? And that's some of the work that you're loving right now. Um, how are you bringing that into the digital space with Microsoft?
0: Well, as I said, Microsoft' um, uh, mission changed from a very, a very um, uh, commercial one—one uh, one computer in every desk at every home—to a PC in every desk at every home—to empower every person, every organization on the planet to achieve more. Right. So when you start with that purpose, with that mission, it's way way easier to bring passion and ethic to, you know, even the ethical leadership and the ethical AI and sustainability and AI for good. It's something that I didn't invent. It's something that was already in Microsoft. Obviously, n- no one, I guess, before me, Microsoft said, "You, we have the, <laughs> the chance of recomposing the gap between ethic and aesthetics, or uh, we need to shift from programming for completion of a task towards creating for a, for a greater purpose. But the ground was there, the soil was fertile. So I just had to plant my seed, I guess.
1: So I kind of summarize everything that you're doing as thinking about how do you redefine that position of humanism? Is that fair to say that that's kind of how you're thinking about things or wrapping it up? Or how would you summarize it?
0: What I do Microsoft, you mean? No, in general. What does Umberto do? Umberto tries to to bring value in people's life. So I always try to keep a right perspective, right? So if you are a baker, if you are a doctor, if you are the guy who cleans the street, you have a very clear impact on society, right? You help people, you bake bread or croissant or whatever, and you keep the streets clean. And if the people, the man who cleans the streets stops, we have the plug in, in 15 days. If I stop as a CDO and before as a vice president and, and or entrepreneur, the world probably rolls on good, I guess. So I try to keep, uh, you know, a distant and not too serious eye on, on what I do, but I try to find a higher purpose to connect me with what I do, look. I think we all, again, happen for some chaotic case, and it's up to you to give meaning to your life. So, what I try to do is try to empower, really, just to to take on Microsoft uh, mission. Try to empower people to achieve more. I really like caring about people. My my friends, my my people, the people next to me. Uh, people who work with me, people in my team, the people in, in in the in the street working agriculture and trying to you know kind of make it better or less polluting. This this is what I do, and then I I I I write songs. I guess <laughs> I don't
1: know. I'm like, really? You write songs? I did not know that about you.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you, you you said what Merto uh, does, and I do a lot of things. The other question would be, what you do good? Probably nothing. What do you do well? <laughs> I don't know. I make people laugh. I make people laugh with outrageous and unexpected lines. That's that's what I do.
1: Okay. So give us an outrageous and unexpected line. What is one of the most outrageous things that's on your mind right now?
0: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're not. I can, I can I can tell you a lot of stuff, but no.
1: So you just talked about the fact that, you know, there isn't anything that you do really well. There isn't anything that um, you do well, which I I highly doubt that knowing you being quite competitive. And I'd say also focused and driven and a constant and continuous learner. Um, Mm -hmm. But what are you really not good at?
0: (laughs) Being political. Mm. uh, I'm not I'm not good. And... um... And I'm saying what what I'm what I'm supposed to say, even now. I mean, I, I thought about what I would have said, and then I've completely gone off the rail, and then I'm saying completely different. So I'm just laughing at myself because I'm, I'm at least I'm keeping myself amused. But uh,
1: very important in life. Very important.
0: <laughs> I am not good in tolerating um, uh, dishonesty as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I'm really not good in tolerating. Um, uh dishonesty and um and that's it
1: so actually I, there is a question that i'm sure people who are listening would want to know um and, and i've been asked this myself before but you mentioned that you're not good at being political yet some people might perceive working in a large organ like organization like microsoft you need to be political so i, I know a question that i get asked is how can you be 100 percent yourself and not be political and work within that type of environment
0: improvisation after insanity I don't know. I'll just I'll just uh, try to do what's right and what I believe is right. I actually, when I have an idea, I try to disprove it and, until it cannot be disproved. I try to lead with data. I always uh, think that not necessarily people have to care about what I think, but you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and my opinion is not better than anyone else's. But no one is entitled to their own facts. Facts are facts. So I try to be fact-driven. And I try to be always be ethical and, um, and try to do what's right. And look, this is not a, an easy an easy question to answer because I, I don't know. Despite some might say that I have done a fair good career, I, I don't know. And uh, I've always been true to myself and uh, respected others and tried to be ethical. And to be quite frank, Microsoft, again, the culture of uh, model, co- coach, and care, which are the three principles that we lead um, with, uh, allows you to be, quite frankly, yourself. Then you obviously it's not it's not a, a art school, but um, it is what it is. You know, what sometimes corporate America has certain dynamics, but that doesn't mean not being true to yourself. So I, I guess the truth, being true to myself means not harming anyone so i don't know that's why they tolerate me and maybe i i come up with something good uh, once in a while (laughs)
1: probably come up with lots of things that are good once in a while but you did touch on something there and i I think that was very well said um but talking about the fact that you seek other perspectives and that you almost try to disprove yourself and Mm -hmm. I look at society at large, It sometimes, and I'm saying, and this could be my own bias, but it sometimes feels like we're constantly seeking to find either similar ideas or similar patterns. And when we don't like the way something goes, or we don't like the direction it's headed in, or we have no use for it anymore, we just kind of cancel it. So let's call it the cancelation culture. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And you know, what things do you think that we could, or not could be, that we should be doing differently?
0: Again, it's all, it's all connected to the, to the fact of accepting that growth is uncomfortable. Uh, we have a lot of confirmation bias uh, and that's the, the most the most common. I mean we try to stay to be with people that is similar to us and nothing wrong with that. but uh, we're social animals, so we seek for approval uh, anywhere we, we can, um, even in dysfunctional ways. Um, and therefore we try to iterate over and over again, the same paradigm, but I think life is chaotic. So our, the ellipses that we spin on iterate themselves on, uh, random errors and, and, you know, kind of, so you need to be able to make, to detach yourself and make sense out of that system right so i believe it's just adapting uh the, the concept of adapt. even if it's not easy i mean i am myself not really i always adapt but i have i can never say it felt good to certain change so um what can we all do could do different is just be aware that nothing lasts forever, and we always need to keep evolving, 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 and and that's it. And that's why I think technology has a very interesting and, and really humanistic side to it that um, is not often uh, considered
1: so on that if you have to sum up kind of what we've been talking about and i think there's probably a lot of listeners who are either working in technology in some form or another and or you know might be in startups that are touching technology and let's be honest everybody's role these days somehow touches technology what advice would you give them around how they can bring more humanism into the work that they're doing and into the technology that they're using
0: Hmm. Uh, i don't want to i don't want to I don't want to talk. Uh, so I'll give them the same advice that I would give my 20 years old self, uh, <laughs> um, which is the one that I give myself every day: is keep dreaming wild and never be afraid, and don't stop even when it hurts. Um, and that's it. I think we need to understand what we want, so and and, and get there at least have a vague idea so we can direction our passion towards something if we work ourselves for completion of a task even if it even when the salary is really good it's not going to be satisfactory in the long term i i have been lucky enough of being there and yeah man i never had a gazillion dollar salary but, but compared to the normal normal high I, I was lucky, but it's not good enough. If you don't work for something that you really care about, you're not going to be able to withstand the struggle. And so yeah. that's the thing. The second thing is try. So when you when you when you driven by that, I think all comes uh, into business. Obviously, you need to, you know, something that I haven't touched. Skills are learned. So yeah. I always higher on potential and personality rather than skills because skills are learned but skills are needed so it's not that you're a Samaritan and then you can do everything no that you you need to develop your skills so you need to be uh, both bi- bi-dimensional if you want you need to have a, a wide view so you need to have an horizontal view in order to be able to capture the big picture but also you need to be able to know the vertical that you're trying to innovate Otherwise, it's going to be either too up there or too narrow and deep down. So you need to be able to marry the two, the two dimensions together. Perfect. Thank
1: you. There is so much from our conversation for people to unpack, and I'm sure people are going to have um, lots more questions for you or want to be able to find out more. Um, On that, what is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you if they want to find out more about your latest, craziest thinking or the work that you're up to? Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, I am on every social media in every possible and empathic and ethical way. (laughs) My name is, is Known, so... You pick the social media. If you want more professional content, I'm on LinkedIn, and my name is Umberto Gallegari. If you want more amusing content, I'm on Instagram, and my name is still the same. So <laughs>
1: perfect. So you can find me anywhere and everywhere.
0: Yeah. Everywhere. Fantastic. I'm the, I'm a, I'm like uh, the the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I'm those who never lived and never died. <laughs> I'm the beginning and the end.
1: And through social channels? never will. <laughs> thank you so much for your time,
0: Inverto. Oh, thank you. It's been a very lovely conversation.
1: It's been very nice. Thank you. Ciao. Have a wonderful afternoon.
0: And you. Ciao, ciao.